0: Welcome to Growth Marketing Camp, where we sit down with our favorite marketers to demystify growth and give you the insights to help turn your next campaign into a major success. Let's
1: get into it. Hey everyone, this is Jazz Binning, co host of Growth Marketing Camp. Welcome to another episode. Um, I'm very excited to introduce to you Mason Cosby, who is the director of growth at Mojo Media Labs and currently a podcast host at the Marketing Ladder. Mason, it's a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We're really excited for our conversation today, Jazz.
1: Definitely. I'm super excited. Before I actually begin, I do want to share, I have a couple of questions to ask about what you guys are currently doing at Mojo Media Labs, but I did recently hear from you that you have some news to share and I yeah. definitely don't want to take take the light away. I would love for you to share it.
0: Yeah. So we have recently been acquired. So we are no longer Mojo Media Labs. Um, we are Gravity Global, which is a global B2B agency. They're actually the most awarded agency in the world. And we were specifically required for our HubSpot and ABM chops. So a lot of the conversation today will will center on ABM and I'm I'm excited but if if you hear us reference Mojo or Gravity they are the same <laughs> just still wearing the new the new brand.
1: I'm sure it's going to take you guys, especially the Mojo team, a little bit of time to get used to it. But Gravity Global, Mojo Media, they they all sound great to me. I am curious, what is it that you guys do at Mojo, now Gravity Global? And I know you guys specialize in ABM, so I'd love for you to share a little bit on what you guys do and kind of share the reasons why you think that Gravity Global also saw insane value in you to uh, do this acquisition.
0: Yeah, so I mean, at, at our core, we are an ABM agency. So we are not necessarily just running ads, but we we do a comprehensive strategy and we partner with our clients to align on revenue results. Um, we've been a HubSpot partner since about 2012. And the kind of the unique thing that we bring is that we are experts in HubSpot from all areas, from marketing, sales, service, operations, and website development and ABM. So when you marry those two together, you get an incredible strategy that is then married with the right technology to actually scale it. We are a strategy first kind of agency, so we're not going to, you know, if you partner with us, we're not saying, "All right, here's the hundred thousand dollar tech stack you need to purchase as well." Yep. Um, but whenever you want to scale it up in a major way, we have the chops uh, to do just that.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And so you guys mentioned you have a couple, like you have some big customers right now. Who is your target customer? Is it people who have been using ABM? I know there's a lot of companies out there that are still trying to figure it out but what does your guys's target audience look like
0: yeah so mojo was going after predominantly more complex b2b tech and manufacturing within now the larger gravity global team we're we're more focused on really complex global markets so for example one of the clients of gravity global is airbus so you know for mojo yeah we we are really helping really niche technology companies or manufacturing companies actually go after their target audiences and their markets and close new business. Because especially if you've got a piece of technology, most pieces of technology solve a very specific problem for a very specific industry and a very specific person in that industry. So it doesn't make sense to run a massive wide net. It makes the more sense to go out after a targeted approach.
1: Got it. Got it. And then in terms of you guys as customers and the challenges you're currently facing, what does that look like in the world?
0: couple of things that come to, to mind immediately one it is a shift for marketers to align on revenue when you're used to running kind of a lead gen model and you know the the victories are around mqls versus did we actually generate pipeline did the business close so there's that there's that shift there's also then kind of the reeducating of the rest of the organization because the ceo starts to get really comfortable seeing you know, 2,000 MQLs were generated this month. And when that dips pretty significantly, because we're no longer measuring success on MQLs, we're measuring it on target accounts that are entering into the pipeline, there's a re-education on that front. And then finally, marketers for better and for worse. Again, I, I am a marketer, I'm going to be very clear, but some marketers have not been the best partners with sales. Mm -hmm. So we have to then rebuild a relationship with sales because, again, if marketing is going to be aligned on revenue, they need to be a good partner as a strategic partner that helps drive sales forward. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the main problems that our clients are experiencing is around shifting the perspective of what is the role of marketing in our organization to be less of the the lead gen hamster wheel or like the fluffy brand stuff, which I also love branding, just to be very clear. But it, it's not just let's do the, the things that make everybody feel really good about our, our company. But how do we actually help people by having them partner with our company long term?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I know one of the things that I've realized, we, we haven't used ABM at OpenSense. We actually are partnered with some companies who specialize in it, like RollWorks. Mm-hmm. They've built an ecosystem. We are a, a partner for kind of their customers, ABM plays. A lot of companies use OpenSense as an ABM solution. Companies like Snowflake, which is also you know, how we've been exposed to it, but us as a team specifically haven't done it yet. I do see a lot of value in it from what I've seen and heard from you know teams like Rollworks and Snowflake. And it seems like more and more people are starting to understand it. There's a lot more tools out there like Sendoso, and we're using Postal, um, Evil Marketing, right? Evil's a dangerous one. <laughs> Open them, guys. <skies. laughs> yep. But there's a lot of tools out there. And I, and I know one of the things that I continue to read time and time again on LinkedIn posts about ABM or blog posts is a lot of people still struggle to make ABM work for them. So just curious, based off of your expertise and what you know about companies who have tried to execute on ABM strategy, who is ABM not for? Is there a certain size of company? I know you mentioned if you don't have a lot of alignment between sales and marketing, that could be either something that needs to be fixed, or if it's not able to be fixed, then that, I can imagine that would be a red flag. But who specifically is ABM for and who is it not for?
0: So a couple of things that immediately come to mind. One, um, just product market fit. I mean, If you are in that early stage and you're trying to actually figure out who is our product for? Like, do we actually serve the market well? ABM is not going to be a fit because it is about creating hyper-personalized specific content that is around a specific problem for a specific buyer. So again, if you're figuring out who is the buyer, you're not going to be a good fit for ABM. The other thing would just be around um, higher deal sizes. So I I think of, of companies that are in the B2B space, but are like, for example, SEMrush. SEMrush, I think their highest contract value is less than $5,000 a year. If you're like doing all the bells and whistles, they're a fantastic company, they do great work, but they're not gonna be a good fit for ABM because they need to, in order to continue to, to grow, they need thousands of new clients on an annual basis or tens of thousands versus some of the clients that we work with, like one, one case that we just released, they closed 35 deals and it was 5.7 million in revenue. So higher deal sizes make ABM a better fit because you don't need to close as much, but also typically with higher deal sizes, you've got a way more complex buying cycle, which is where ABM is going to thrive because you're not just targeting an individual, you're targeting all the decision makers within an account and creating content that's gonna help them move the deal forward internally. So those are kind of the two things, again, product market fit, and then also kind of higher deal sizes And then also kind of a longer sales cycle, because again, if you're so focused on creating hyper-personalized content, but the deals are closing in a two week sales cycle, fantastic. If you've got a large deal size, you're closing at two weeks, but you need a bit of a longer sales cycle so that you can actually engage the accounts in such a way that is influencing the way that they think and providing the right content at the right time. Mm
1: -hmm. No, it totally makes sense. And I know that you guys, um, since you are an ABM agency, of course, you're probably practicing ABM. What's the stuff that's worked for you guys that you have yeah. found, you know, it's brought a lot of success?
0: I love for people when they're running a pilot campaign to always use the tools that they currently have. And I am a big proponent of building things on shoestring budgets to prove value and to then as a result, drive revenue. So I have been running the weirdest ABM strategy that is the most circuitous, but has been insanely effective and it is podcasts. And I I personally run a marketing careers podcast in my, in my free time. And I've helped my boss start to build her own podcast. So we invite our target accounts to come talk to us. And with me, they're talking through their career and how they built it and the roles that they're hiring for and the strategic vision of the company. And then my boss's podcast talking about how they've grown their business. And, we don't do an immediate follow-up on from a sales perspective at all. Actually, we, we never say, Hey, thanks so much for talking with us. Hey, would you want to talk about like partnering with us now? Cause I, it just kind of, it's not the right move, but by the simple fact that we invite someone on, we start to develop a relationship. That's a one-to-one relationship. We give credit to their expertise while also sharing our own in- insights and thoughts and opinions. What we've seen is that three to six months after a guest has come on Many of them will engage in conversation. And then the other thing that I've done personally, and this is also free, is I go and connect with a bunch of my target accounts on LinkedIn. So I'm connected with the decision makers. I'm creating content on a daily basis, if not multiple times a day. And through that, they become an actively engaged part of my audience. And then I'll make a post about ABM and they'll like it. And I'll send them a message that says, Hey, thank you for engaging with my content. I really appreciate this fort. They're just like, absolutely happy to do it. You're always so helpful. I'm like, awesome. What's most helpful. And then they'll say something about the ABM posts at which point I know that they trust me. I say, thank you so much. What's helpful about our ABM posts. And then we dive into, and what ends up happening is they'll share with me. I've actually shared your content with our CEO. It's a proof of concept. And I'm like, that's awesome. Would it make sense for us to talk about partnering at that point? Cause if you're sharing my stuff with your CEO. You trust me. So Those are the two plays, and uh, that costs $30 a month, as long as you can actually get the right list into the targeting, which many people can do within their own CRM by focusing on a closed lost campaign. So look at all the deals that you've lost in the past 12 months, re-engage them by inviting them onto a podcast and connecting with them on LinkedIn and starting to engage there. And that's a great way that you can restart a relationship.
1: Oh, I absolutely love that idea. And I'm going to, after this coverage, actually jot that down and talk to our sales too about that. That is such a fantastic idea. And you know, one of the things that you mentioned, that is a huge turnoff for just anyone, right? If someone connects with you on LinkedIn and you get that sales pitch, which I'm sure you're getting it a lot, I'm getting it. Like crazy. And it is besides the fact that you're building real relationships with people, you're actually having a conversation with them. You get to know them on a personal level. You spend some of that time. What well, we've even noticed since we've started Growth Marketing Camp. We're at this, we're at the phase now where a lot of the companies that have come on to Growth Marketing Camp, they are also the kind of brands that were like, hey, let's be content partners. We'd love to repurpose this the podcast episode. And you guys publish it on your blog. We get the link back and they are so much more ready to say yes and so excited about it because we've already built that relationship with them. We've basically, you know, continue to engage with them. Yelena does a fantastic job with this, keeping that relationship alive. And it's just one of those things where it will never feel like a sales pitch um, when you do tap their shoulder and say, hey, You know how about we do xyz so i love that you do that and i can already see the value in it for mojo slash gravity (laughs) and um it's something that you're right right it's a shoestring budget it's not going to cost a lot of money and i love that you you guys are using it at your company that's awesome
0: can i give one other quick example
1: yeah hundred percent.
0: Two or three weeks ago i can't i think it was three weeks ago at this point i was actually promoted to director of growth which was I, i was excited about it i posted it on linkedin and because I had built relationships with our target accounts, the announcement that LinkedIn all Mac the dozen and the post I did after collectively got about 450 likes, which is, you know, pat on my back, fantastic. But the reality is, of those 450, about 100 of those were my target accounts to which I could then say and send them a DM that said, Hey, thank you so much. I'm really excited about this new role. Really appreciate your support. And they're like, absolutely, is there anything I can do to help? To which I can then respond with. Absolutely, actually. In this new role, I'm really excited to help people build better ABM programs, leveraging HubSpot. So if you know anybody that needs help with ABM or HubSpot, please send them my way. I sent 100 DMs. We generated $1.2 million in pipeline in the span of a week. And I have 30 upcoming follow, like follow-ups just that were like, we might actually need your services in about a month. Can you follow up with me? And again, that came from having built relationships. And when something happened in my life, my target accounts wanted to celebrate me because we built a relationship. Mm-hmm. I can then use those relationships to actually then help them by inviting them to into our sales process.
1: Yep, yep. No, I love that. I absolutely love that idea. And another thing I'm going to try to steal with, it is actually um, when what you guys are doing and what you're doing specifically when you guys are doing at your company, when you do things like that, is um, you're kicking off that sales conversation with if sales decided to reach out independent of doing something like this, you're actually kicking off on the highest note possible versus trying to take a cold lead and really try to warm them up. And I think a lot of the resistance I've read around ABM would be, hey, you know, it takes too long. But the thing is, it may take a little bit longer, but imagine the amount of time you're wasting and resources and budget if you're doing the traditional approach versus following through something like this, which is long-term because you are building that relationship. The examples that you've shared are almost like unique enough where you don't think about it, but powerful enough where it's going to leave a, a lasting impact on that individual. And then obviously revenue, which you just shared. Absolutely love that. Okay. Besides the, besides um, podcasting, what are the other, what's the other kind of content you guys are producing at Mojo?
0: So a couple of things, one would be highly tactical monthly workshops. So we would do something that was called fixture site from church to sale and people would submit their websites for review. We would do live reviews of our target accounts and then following that, workshop, Uh, I would sit in this room for about 50 hours and build out personalized website reviews and technical audits for about 40 websites that were submitted that were, again, our target accounts. And we have influenced and influenced 56 deals in the past year that received a website review. We've done it three times. So we sent out 120 reviews, 56 deals were influenced. And 14 were specifically sourced from that event. So again, that's driving pipeline revenue. And it's a very basic workshop and webinar with a very intentional follow-up. And then based on the success of those monthly workshops, I had the thought of what's the next biggest thing that we could do. That's not just like a monthly one-hour webinar, but like what's, what's next. And it was a day long virtual conference called ABMathon where we did about 20 sessions and we specifically cater all of our marketing and all of our collateral around inviting target accounts to that event. It was publicly accessible. We had 700 people register for the event, but all of the, the ad spend was focused on trying to get target accounts to the event.
1: Got it. Yeah. That was was actually my next question to talk about that. So it seems like you guys also partnered with a couple other vendors or you guys absolutely hosted that, crushed that by the way, I think it happened in April. And I do want to know if you guys are going to do that again, because I would love to have an invite to that. <laughs> but um, how did that look like trying to get people on board? And how many of these have you guys done in the past?
0: So I'll go ahead and answer the, the second question. This was the first time we'd ever done it. And it was the first time anyone on our team had ever hosted any kind of a virtual event of of that scale. We had only ever done monthly webinars. We have formal Tech Partnerships with companies like HubSpot, Terminus, Sales Intel, and Sendoso. And again, we're a strategy first agency, but we also recognize at some point you'll we'll need the appropriate tech. So if we have these tech partnerships, we can then recommend technology that we know will work well together. So with that, when we started this ABM April event idea, it was going to be like a weekly webinar over the month of April with our different ABM partners. It then spun into ABMathon. Um, which is a day long virtual conference. And with that, I just essentially said to our tech partners, I want to recognize you as sponsors, but your sponsorship is showcasing your skill sets for promoting the event. So sales Intel provide the target account list and all the intent data and track the intent data around the target accounts for three months to make sure that we were inviting the right people at the right time at the right accounts, Sendoso covered the cost of all of the sends. And we sent out custom branded ABM ABMathon headbands because ABM was a marathon, not a sprint. And then Terminus ran all the display ads and made sure that we were doing account based advertising, at which point we then just had to cover the actual event platform itself. So from a cost perspective, including my time, it cost less than $25,000 to do the entire event that again, had 700 registrants, 350 of which came from organizations that were over 20 million dollars in revenue. So I would say that's a that's a successful event, and we've already we've already seen closed revenue that was sourced back to that event. And it's this is recorded at some point in June.
1: Yeah, that is incredible, especially for a virtual event to see those kind of numbers. And that to you guys first virtual event. That is insane. So major, major props to you. Even trying to think about that number right now, (laughs) during a time where people are so exhausted by virtual events, yeah, you guys like killed it. And and it sounds like you were also able to tap the cut your partners to do something that makes the most sense for them. So that's also something that I feel like most most marketers don't think about, which means you've been thinking about it for, for quite a while, Mason. I absolutely love that. So, curious, it does sound like it was very, very successful. If you could change, Anything, one thing, or if you were had to do it all over again, which I'm sure, considering how successful it was, you will. Any lessons learned? Anything you would do differently? Anything you would double down on the next time you do this?
0: I would invest more heavily in the specific event platform, because the platform itself is the experience for the end user. And again, we spent less than twenty five thousand dollars, including my time, and I spent hundred and twenty hours personally putting the event together from November to April. So we did not spend a whole lot of money on the event platform as a proof of concept. We use something called zoom events. Mm -hmm. It's a fairly basic platform. It gets the job done, but we launched the campaign and everyone that had been around kind of helping it and like proofing it and making sure everything worked already had their email as a speaker or as a sponsor or as something related to the event. It didn't hit me until the way it launched ads that, no one had actually looked at it that was not actively involved in the event Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason zoom events has it to where it's not a publicly accessible event so you would click on the link in an ad and get a 404 and i found out 30 minutes before we did a, a linkedin takeover where everyone from every speaker from four different organizations was going to post on linkedin at the same time so i had 30 minutes to create a fix so we could still get registration because there was no way to like change, hey, we're not going to all post at noon today and communicate that to 30 people across four different organizations. So the thing that I would change is like invest in the event platform because the event platform is the experience Mm -hmm. and then bring in people that have nothing to do with the event to double check everything.
1: Wow, that sounds extremely, extremely stressful.
0: (laughs) I almost had a heart attack. We did solve it. We just quickly threw up a form on the, on the landing page and and gathered everybody's information that we needed. Mm -hmm. And then what we ended up doing is just kind of keeping that there and creating essentially a a duct tape together program. There was no integration, there was no anything. So I had to, it was a whole thing. All that to say, if I could go back, I would not skimp on the platform Mm -hmm. because the platform would have cost us an additional into $15,000. So the entire event investment would have still been less than 35.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And at that point, when we've been invited to speak at conferences and it's thirty seven five hundred to speak at a conference for a thirty minute virtual session yeah. to own the event for less than it would cost for thirty minutes, mm-hmm. I feel like it's still a worthwhile investment
1: hundred percent or you can find one of those great event you know platform and get them to be a partner right
0: <laughs> that yeah that that's honestly that's a plan for next time. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, absolutely. So it sounds like um, still it was very, very successful. How did you guys continue and how are you? Because it happened back in April. It's just literally a couple of months away. How are you continuing to engage the the attendees and the registrants?
0: Yeah, so uh, I'll be completely candid. I did not know that there was going to be an acquisition when we launched AVMathon. So the main purpose behind AVMathon was honestly more of a content creation and a, and a brand play because we recorded 15 hours of ABM specific content with all of our Mojo branding on it in the span of a single day. So the plan was to use that content for microclips following the event to then drive traffic towards an ABM resource hub. So if you wanna access all the content from ABMathon, go to mojomedialabs.com slash ABM. It's completely ungated. All the slides are there, everything, including some product demos from our, from our tech partners. So I I give you that context to say, following the acquisition, we will then give all of that content to, I'm sorry, following the announcement of the acquisition and all that fun stuff, we'll give all that content to the video team, and they will turn that into micro clips that drive traffic towards the new landing page that will be a part of the Gravity website. And as far as how we're re-engaging that existing audience that's already been actively engaged, most of them are on LinkedIn, so many of them are a part of that. million that turned into pipeline last week and we are we sent a couple of emails that were around hey here's some additional abm content but we're not we're not forcing them to to schedule a call that wasn't the purpose it was entirely an education and brand play Mm -hmm. because from my perspective if you provide genuinely highly valuable content and information and actually help people they'll trust you and they'll either buy from you or they'll tell somebody else to buy from you because they trust you and the referrals we've gotten as a result of that event as well, have proven that it's more important to build trust and build a brand and build authority than to make sure you get all the micro conversions across the funnel.
1: Yep. Yeah, Noah, I totally agree. This just kind of goes back into the thing that you shared earlier, where you guys are spending that time um, reviewing people's websites. You're offering all of that for free and you're positioning your, that yourself as the experts in ABM. And you're also getting signals on you know who's interested who's actually looking to improve their brand or improve their website and those touch points. So I, I love all of that. So shifting gears a little bit to focus a little bit more on you, I am curious, is ABM something that you were thinking about before you joined Mojo Media? Or is it something that you learned while working at this company?
0: So I, I had my introduction to ABM probably two and a half years ago. So I was I was the first marketing hire at a rapidly growing SaaS company. I talked with an agency and they threw out this concept of of ABM as a, as a viable strategy. And I was like, what's that? And then he explained it to me over a call. I was like, that seems relatively interesting. And I did some, I read some blogs and really at that point in my career, I was more focused on copywriting and branding and and brand messaging Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: I was, ABM was not on the radar because I was trying to completely help reposition a brand to actually, it's a whole other side note. So when I started looking at partnering and starting to work at Mojo, I saw that ABM was a big focus of theirs because it was it was on the job description of we had left someone with the ABM experience. So when I looked at what I was actively doing at the company where I worked, it was very clear. I'm doing the messaging and the content component of ABM and like creating the right content. I'm not doing the targeting piece. So let me take a step back and focus in on the targeting piece. And then as a result of then getting hired on by Mojo and being the dedicated marketer of an ABM marketing agency, we launched pilot programs for ourselves. We launched an absurd amount of content around the subject, most of which I wrote or coordinated or talked about. So it has really been for me personally, throwing myself in the deep end to say, if I'm going to engage CEOs and CMOs and VPs of marketing on ABM, I need to know this like the back of my hand. So over the past really two years, that has been what I've been doing is I just kind of <laughs> live and breathe ABM. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I mean, it didn't really come on the scene until 2016, 2017. So it's still a relatively new uh, concept that everybody's still relatively figuring out. So it wasn't something that was just, I have to be an ABM marketer, but the more I've learned about it, the more I recognize that this is a fantastic way to actually scale revenue. And it's super fun. <laughs>
1: it sounds like it sounds like a lot of fun, the stuff that you've shared, so you know I know you mentioned that you're you're trying to kind of dive in with both feet. How do you stay up to date? What are the resources that you use? Are there specific people or companies that are killing it that you that you you were using to get inspired by?
0: I think the most helpful thing personally is having my own podcast where I speak with people that probably wouldn't. Not not because they're not nice people, but they're all busy. I mean, they're all literally CMOs, VPs, and marketing directors at like 2,000-person companies. So to hear the way that they think about marketing, the roles that they're hiring for, the way that they came up through it over the past, for many of them, it's been two and three decades that they've been in marketing. To hear how they think is incredibly helpful. And then the other thing is I host weekly sessions where people can just pop in and ask any question that, that they want about ABM. And as a result of hearing the questions that are being asked, I then stay up to date because I have to be on my A game to answer literally any question. Like there's no, there's no prep. It's literally somebody pops in, asks a question that could be high level strategy. Like what is ABM? To how do I make sure that this workflow works appropriately within HubSpot to get everything that I want? I've answered that whole gauntlet. So by that trial by fire, I stay pretty up to date.
1: I love both of them. And then the first thing you mentioned too the, you know, inviting and having actual conversations with people on your podcast, that's a great example. Like even the short conversation, I've already learned a bunch of things from you (laughs) that I'm like, all right, you know, I'm going to jot those down and going to take a look because conversations from people who are actually living, breathing, and they've been working in it. It is so underrated. You don't realize how important that is because a lot of things, if you're reading blog posts or watching webinars, things still kind of get lost in translation. But when you're really listening, you get a chance and an opportunity to dig deeper like we did during this uh, conversation. And um, also the rapid fire, you having to do that on a weekly basis, like Props to you for putting yourself in that situation, but it's keeping your your muscles flexed, which is awesome. I know you recently transitioned to a new role. Do you want to share a little bit about that role? Did it come to you? Did it naturally? Or is it something that you've been looking for? And what's next for you in terms of your career?
0: So as far as the, the new role of director of growth, you know, I, I had been marketing director of Mojo, and that means that I was the marketing person at a marketing agency which is an interesting concept in and of itself. And our our sales rep got an incredible opportunity to go work at Deloitte and we were very happy for her. But when she kind of let us know that she was stepping out of business, we all kind of looked around and I was like, all right, well, I've, I had the conversation with my boss. Like, I feel like I'm the obvious choice and I essentially built the role and I'm still the marketing strategic lead. I still do marketing. I still recognize and really view myself as a marketer more than a salesperson, but I also now lead our sales process. And what that means is if people want to walk into a conversation and, and talk about partnering with Mojo, they get to talk with me and we have a highly strategic conversation. And more often than not, I'm referring them to somebody else that could be a better partner because I'll be candid. When I was brand side, I I got screwed by a lot of agencies that just lied in the process that just we're really just not actually there to help me, but actually just want my money. And don't be wrong. Like, I love growing revenue. Fantastic. But I want to grow revenue because we're helping you grow your revenue even more. So my new role is essentially being that person that's going to shoot you straight and say, I think we're going to be a great fit. I think we're going to generate you a ton of money and actually help you move your mission forward. Or, hey, I know a ton of other people that are fantastic. That'd be a better fit for you. And that's that's kind of what that new role looks like. Is managing the the strategic elements of our marketing, so I can stay stay up to date and kind of stay in the weeds, and then guide people through our sales process and make sure that they're getting what they need.
1: Yeah, it sounds. Yeah, it definitely sounds like more of a, like an advisor relationship, which is great. In terms of your team specifically, what does that look like? Who are the people that um, that you're able to kind of tap into? Is it mostly sales? Is it sales and marketing?
0: So the team makeup right now, and this is about to again radically change. So as it stands, it is myself, we have someone that is a RevOps person. So they're making sure that everything is, is running beautifully within our CRM and all of our data. And they are really looking at all, a lot of the like, operational components and making sure everything scales. And then I have somebody that I work with on more of the tactical execution elements of our marketing. So like writing the blog posts, scheduling out the emails, editing the podcasts, those kind of tactical elements, and then we have my boss, who is the owner of our agency, and I very, very generously use her as kind of building her up into more of a of a thought leader. So she's incredibly intelligent; she is way smarter than me. So I I kind of use her as the big guns whenever we've got a, a really big client opportunity that that needs somebody that is president versus director of growth, and just kind of making sure that she's coordinated for podcast interviews.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is
0: the, that is the core team at the moment, but it's about to get way bigger.
1: Yeah. It's, I was going to say, it's definitely going to change, which is going to be a new challenge, but a lot of fun for you, I'm sure. Yes. Um, What do you think are the most important skills you've learned, right? Since you've been here, I'm sure you've had to navigate a lot over the last two years too, but in your, your current role, what are the skills that you've realized that have either made you a better marketer or you feel like you need to have, you know, X, Y, Z to really succeed in this place, in this role, in this time?
0: I am very much so what is called an entrepreneur. So I'm not an entrepreneur, but I am I'm just somebody um, I, I build stuff like I just learn and I just I just enjoy the building process because for me, like I could totally still write blogs and when I started at Mojo, that was mostly what I did. I wrote a ton of blog content, but it is not something that I necessarily enjoy as much at this point point. and what we found is that that works really, really well. So this, like the skill set that I've learned that I need to lean into is that I'm very comfortable with ambiguity. I am very comfortable being an idiot and like trying to figure things out. And I'm really, really comfortable with failure and leaning into that and saying, we're going to try a lot of new things and I'm going to build new stuff. And then I'll train people how to do the things that I'm building and I'll go continue to build new things is a is a unique skill set in and of itself that I feel like if I were to talk about like what I've learned in HubSpot it like that's those things are helpful and I need to know those things for my job but the things that have like helped actually push our agency forward it it is the ability to say what's the coolest craziest stuff that we could build yeah. that we can do on a shoestring budget and see if it works and recognizing that that is a skill set because not everybody thinks that way <laughs> and for whatever reason I I do.
1: It Definitely. It is definitely a skill set. And it's one of those things where you don't realize, but most people, even a, where I've worked in the past, you'll have certain managers, you'll have certain people on your team who are very risk-averse, but they're comfortable with that. And you kind of see a comfortable level of growth for that team and that company. And then there's people like you, <laughs> which everything you've done from, Doing those kind of weekly sessions, um, willing to take, um, willing to almost make yourself look like a fool, technically, right? If it's like, hey, I'm not actually sure, but putting yourself out there and um, willing to be wrong, willing to be just, you know, deal with the, some of the stuff that happened when you shared um, yeah. that happened at the abm a which I bet you anybody would have had a massive heart attack. But it's like, instead of being cautious, you're brave and you're bold. And so people who are less risk averse and they're willing to take those risks, they're, they're willing to jump in with both feet. They're willing to test things. Fortunately, you don't have to do it with, with, without sacrificing a lot of budget. They get further in life um, and yeah. the companies get further in life. So definitely a, a rare skill set. I still haven't seen, I don't see it often. And it must also be a, a rare, one of the skills that I can imagine you have is the ability to influence and like, Get buy-in from your executive team on some of these crazy ideas that you have. So, how has that been?
0: Yeah, I, even before I answer that question, I mean, if it were just me, this would not work. Like this skill set is a highly volatile skill set. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it's awful. And I'm very fortunate that I've got incredibly detail-oriented people around me that are highly, like, tactically oriented, and are really, really good at making sure that things don't drop. Because if it were just me to my own devices. I just go build crazy things and there's details I get missed. So like it is my greatest skill set is also my greatest weakness. So I want to be very clear on that front that I have an incredible team around me that like make sure we don't screw everything up. As far as how did I get my boss and get executive buy-in, I started with what they were comfortable with and then slowly added in new elements. So again, we were, we were predominantly a HubSpot agency. So when I started, I was writing two blogs a week and like pumping out a ton of ABM content. And I was able to verifiably show, Hey, we've been doing this for three months and we have not seen revenue. I'd like to start seeing revenue. So what can we do? That's a little bit differently. So we peeled back one blog and we started doing one monthly workshop. I wanted to launch a podcast and my boss was super busy again at the time, but didn't know that she was negotiating an acquisition. Now I understand a whole lot more why she was out of town. But I I wanted to start a podcast for our agency and it just wasn't happening. So I then launched a podcast, spending $30 a month of my own money and like just continuing to slowly iterate Mm -hmm. without sacrificing the things that they already recognized they were comfortable with. Especially when you start a new role, like your capacity at the beginning is a whole lot of learning curve. Mm -hmm. But as you learn to do those new things, you can do this more quickly and more effectively. You then open up your bandwidth. Some people will just say, awesome, I've got more time to do less work while other people will say, I've got more time to fill that can make impact for the agency. And again, I'm a one man marketing team. So I look around and it's like it's marketing source. It was like the only option is that it was me. So I don't have to worry necessarily as much around like tracking individual channel metrics. It's more of like holistically it's marketing driving revenue and what specific initiatives are doing that. So again, it was the slow iterative process. And if we had started day one with a it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, but I slowly built trust and showed, hey, this is why this is the next logical step. All of this ex- is experimental. Everything could totally fail at any point, but so far it seems to be working. Well, you we should keep going down this path.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree, and I love that you mentioned that too. The team, definitely, definitely, especially your leadership team, the other people that are in team who are keeping you in check, they're the ones who help make it very successful. Else, it could be like a fantastic disaster too, which. You know, a company like yours and any other company who's, you know, taking their stuff very seriously. They have customers, they've got process. You're not going to take those kind of risks. So, absolutely love that. In terms of you specifically, who are your role models? Who inspires you? And who do you think we should invite to the show next time?
0: Yeah. I mean, in many ways, it is actually my own boss. I'm not, I'm not just saying that, but I mean, I, I genuinely value her insight. She's been doing this for 15, 20 years. And she and I are very similar in the way that we think and are wired. And I'm thankful for the person that makes sure that we, again, don't just implode between the two of us. But she's she's done a lot to help actually grow me into a more professional marketer versus somebody that's just like, I don't know how else to say it, but it's just like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. It's like, let's go build all the things. But like I'm a lot more strategic as a result of having to justify spend. Even though it's not a ton of spend in the grand scheme of things, I still have to get executive buy-in. And she's willing to work with me to make sure that we get there. So that's, that's a huge one. And then honestly, as far as the content and the people that I engage with on a, on a daily basis, it would be Trey Shineman, who's the CMO of a company called The Ask Method. TC Jennings, who's the CEO of a company called 2-6 Performance Marketing. It would also just be people like Kathleen Booth that from a distance, I've had her on my own podcast. I've had a couple of interactions with her. But she's just an incredibly talented and, and skilled marketer um, that works and a much larger organization in the executive seat. So I could I could list off probably twenty people, but there's a there's a I don't know. I, I may even make LinkedIn post that up tomorrow just to to list everybody out. But it's I've, I've been incredibly blessed by the opportunity to have a podcast where I can then invite my heroes to talk about how they became who they are. So yeah. sorry, the list is just really long.
1: Hey, hey, It's okay. I'll I'll check it out tomorrow <laughs> if you if you post on LinkedIn. Yeah. Last couple of questions and then I will let you go. These are just a little bit more fun questions and it kind of helps us get to know our guests a little. If you had to pick one mutant superpower, what would you choose? Uh, Telepathy. Okay. All right. That's a new one I have not heard.
0: (laughs) The goal of marketing is to understand your buyers and understand how they think. So with telepathy, I could literally read their minds.
1: Oh, that is absolutely a fantastic idea. Most of the ones I've heard so far, like stopping time, mind control which is hey you don't even have to think you could just you know influence them which is oh my there's some moral there's some moral issues with that so all right and then what is one thing that you want to make happen like one dream one legacy you want to leave behind you specifically mason
0: so the reason i do all the i mean because the marketing ladder is not it's a it's a passion project i don't make any money off of that like but i helped place 20 marketers the whole reason i'm doing any of that is when i got laid off you know Two, two and a half years ago, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible experience. And I went, I went four months without, I had literally a thousand interviews, not even a joke. So the, the legacy, the thing that I would want to see happen is eventually, I know at some point in my life, I will launch a business that is entirely around helping young professionals or people that are experiencing a midlife crisis to actually take the step back to understand what is their purpose? Like, why are they here? And than aligning their life and actually putting them on a path towards building a career and building a life holistically, not just the career, but holistically that aligns to their purpose, their mission, their vision, their passions. That will probably happen in the next 15 to 20 years. The goal right now is to be as impactful and helpful as a marketer for the purpose that with the career trajectory that I'm on, I will learn so, so much that I can then help others with. Whereas if I were to launch that today, I've got like three things I can offer. Mm-hmm. So that's the long-term vision.
1: Thanks. So thank you for sharing that story, by the way. I did not realize that marketing ladder came from that. The fact that it did, and it did actually come from that time, which you personally experienced makes it feel that much more impactful too. And just curious, I know you mentioned for four months, you were kind of unemployed and you sent about a thousand, um, you had about a thousand interviews. What did you do during, because I'm sure there's people that are unemployed right now. Like, what did, what did you do during that time besides just applying for jobs? Did you take advantage of like, did you ever have a moment where you're trying to figure out what it is you wanted to do, right? To have that like mid- little midlife crisis, or did you do some professional development?
0: Honestly, I should have. Um, I read some books, but the fuller context is the month before I got laid off, uh, I got engaged and I had just bought a house and had a mortgage and uh, then it was COVID. So, and my fiance moved to a different state for the summer. So there there wasn't really a whole lot that I was doing, honestly. I was pretty driven and motivated to to get a job because I had just made a promise to someone that I was going to provide for them. So should I have probably done some professional development that would have made my interviewing experiences better? Yes. But was I wholly and solely motivated to get a job of any kind? Also, yes.
1: Yep. Yep. I'm glad you mentioned that. I actually had the exact same exact same experience. I was working at an agency. Fortunately, this was before COVID. So I didn't have to, you had, you had like the curveball of COVID thrown in, but we had just, uh, me and my fiance had just now husband signed up. Uh, We had basically got a mortgage and I was working at a cryptocurrency agency. So it was absolutely wild. It was like fire festival. It was fire festival, but uh, the Canadian version of that. And we had a wedding booked for September and this was 2018. I lost my job in March, 2018. And I was still in discussion with our mortgage broker and I had to let her know, I just lost my job. I know we got pre approved, like we got approved. What do we do? And it was the most, I had a panic attack at the lawyer's office. I actually did a yeah, post on her. It was my first post on LinkedIn. Had a panic attack. Laura's office, and she basically said, "I can just still put you down." It looks like you've had, like, you haven't had a long period of not being unemployed. I can put you down, but it was just signing that contract. I remember and signing our deposit away, knowing that we had two major debts that was just going to consume my life. And I did it. And at that point, it was like, "All right, sink or swim." So I spent a lot of my time and energy trying to get freelancers, and that's when I was freelancing for a little while. And you made it and it made me a stronger person too. So hundred percent, I totally empathize with what you went through. It is so, so stressful. I wasn't thinking about professional development. I wasn't thinking about fitness. I wasn't thinking about anything except for how do I make money so I can pay off the mortgage and pay off that wedding because we just took both of them in the same year. Jeez. Yeah. Stressful. So, so stressful. But now I look back and I'm like, I wouldn't change a damn thing from what happened and no regrets absolutely no regrets i'm glad that it it worked out for you too
0: yeah i couldn't agree more
1: yeah yeah
0: essentially everything that's happened has started from that point of because once i landed at the job and then i had to figure out how to do the job so 80 90 hour weeks first six months to learn how to do marketing before i got married and then was able to provide for a wife so yeah,
1: no I know that. absolutely, absolutely love it and now look you're basically an autopilot but you're continuing to well you're more an autopilot than you were before <laughs> doesn't sound like you'll ever be an autopilot though
0: i don't i don't think so i don't yeah. to start a whole <laughs> lot of <on> that front
1: <laughs> from the conversation i just had with you you don't seem like an autopilot kind of guy and one last thing what's one thing you cannot live without
0: uh my wife <laughs> um <laughs> no i Actually, yes, there's, there's no, there's no denying that. But the other thing would just be, um I think, honest to goodness at this point, and this is gonna sound so cheesy and corny, but I mean, I, I really do attribute a lot of the growth in professional development and all of that to being active on LinkedIn. And I hate to, I hate to be the guy that's like, I probably couldn't live without LinkedIn. But the, the reality is like, I attribute a lot of the life that I now get to live to the relationships that have been built on the platform. So if you want something that is, not my spouse, which obviously comes way first. It would be probably it would probably be LinkedIn as a as a thing that I don't think I could live without. Such a nerd.
1: Hey, it's uh, and, it works for you. And literally after this conversation, I'm like, all right, time to start posting on LinkedIn. Um, our team definitely can't live without LinkedIn too. We have an evangelist program. Most of the uh, employees in our company are actively using LinkedIn. We've seen a lot of value from it. We use it actively to get the kind of guests of your caliber, right? The kind of guests that we are absolutely inspired by on our show by building those relationships. So I totally see why you pick LinkedIn. I do love that. Obviously, Spouse comes first. Yep. LinkedIn comes second. And I totally agree with both of those answers too. Thank you again, Mason, for joining us on Growth Marketing Camp. It was an absolute blast having this conversation with you. And um, how can people connect with you? How can they find you?
0: Uh, LinkedIn uh, is the main one. Um, So M-A-S-O-N-C-O-S-B-Y. I am not Mason Crosby. I am Mason Cosby. And the other one would just be the marketing ladder. It is wherever you find podcasts. And if you look for somewhere where you find podcasts and you don't find the marketing ladder, please let me know and we'll try to fix it.
1: Definitely. And we will link both marketing letter and Mason's LinkedIn on our posts when uh, this does go out. Once again, congrats, major props for the promotion and Thank for the you. acquisition. This was an awesome chat and I will catch you guys later.
0: Thanks for listening to Growth Marketing Camp. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd give it a quick five-star rating or share it with a friend or colleague looking to give a little more inspiration for their next campaign. If you want to learn more about the company behind the show, head to opensense.com. That's O-P-E-N-S-E-N-S-E dot com. We'll catch you on the next episode.